Julie. This is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, yes. Episode 319. And we're back to Dean Koontz for what I believe is the second time. I think we've only done one other one. We did The City. The City, yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all we've done. But um, why? I don't know. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we're we're talking about one door away from heaven, and um, it is published in two thousand one, and it is a really reflective book. You know, um, <laughs> there is a lot here between the plot. <laughs> um, his characters talk quite a bit in this one. It seems to me more than most of the stuff he writes. It's like uh, he just kind of went philosophical in here and um, had a lot to say. He had a lot to say through his characters, I'd say. Yes, he's tackling a lot of um, similar topics, really. Um, People who society doesn't value Mm -hmm. because they don't think they're really quite human. Mm -hmm. Or certain people in society in some cases. So... um, and and it's all in a very action packed adventure story. Yeah. So it's not like it gets boring or preachy. Well, it might be a little preachy, <laughs> but you know you got to have it. And yeah. um, because of that, it gives the people because the topic is so serious, it gives the people a lot of chances to say it. But you're right. I feel like they said a lot of things that were directly faith-oriented in a way that a lot of times his books don't. And I could be wrong. I agree. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, He is Catholic. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we could see that coming through. It's not like a Catholic book, you know, uh, meaning it's not perfect. You know, it's not like, you know what I'm saying? It's not, there isn't a bunch of Catholics that he's talking about or anything like that. But you can just tell... That he's got well, this philosophy of life and this optimism that I really appreciate. Yeah, it's um, his worldview. It and is. That's what yeah. comes through in the book. Exactly. Yeah. And and this is a horror novel. There's a lot of horror, horrific things that occur. There certainly um, are. There were some pieces thriller. I had to just skip. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a thriller. It's it's great. But but here it's like there's a lot of good people in this one. You know. Yeah, and this is one where you're hearing mostly from inside the heads of a few people who have, it's almost like um, the stand in a way where mm. here are mm. these people in all these different places and they're gradually brought into one place Yeah, where a mission is accomplished. It's, yeah, I, I like yeah, this. Yeah, I, I really like love that. how he did that too. It's just this, and it is a Dean Koontz kind of a thing um, mm-hmm. where he's just writing these different tracks and the tracks eventually come together, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, here we have a track. Let's see, how did he even start? I think it started with Mickey. Would that be right? Which I was surprised because yeah. I always remember Curtis more. Right, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we have Mickey who has just been, uh, it's a female. She's just been released from prison and she's hanging out with her Aunt Geneva. <laughs> And um, next door is a very interesting girl named Leilani. Leilani, Leilani, yeah. Yeah, Leilani Klonk. (laughs) I know, what a name. 
And Leilani Klonk is disabled. She's got, um, you know, she's missing a hand. And she's also, uh, walking is difficult, you know, so she's got like a cane or a walker. She's a leg brace. Yeah, leg brace. Okay. And, um, but yet she, and she's like nine years old, I think, if I remember mm-hmm. right. And, but she is like way older than nine. <laughs> she's, she's just got this thing about her. Um, the way that she talks to Mickey at the beginning, um, she speaks like an adult and, uh, yeah, go ahead. It's funny because, um, I really hated that Mm -hmm. and I don't remember caring about it the first I've read it. This may be my third or fourth time to read it, but I haven't read it for years and years. So, um, I'd forgotten a lot of it and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's driving me crazy. But by about halfway through the book, when you learn more about what her life has been like, and how she's had to adapt to survive, hmm. you suddenly go, I mean, I, w- I wasn't sitting there reflecting on it, but I realized there was a shift in my thinking hmm. to where I didn't mind it anymore. It just really reflected how she'd had to grow up so early. And yeah. also, also she's brilliant, mm-hmm. but um, because of what she'd been through and what she was going to go through. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've got, so this track is going on, you know, so we're learning things about Leilani's parents and, so Mickey is next door and Mickey is starting her life over after having been in prison. And um, so we're seeing that unfold. And then we're seeing a kid running from something. <laughs> the, the riveting scenes. I mean, every time it was his scene, it was just like, man. Oh, yeah. So he's running from something and the something seems pretty serious. Um, you know, at least the way that he thinks about it, but yet he is the most optimistic kid you'll know. (laughs) I mean, it just felt like, you know, the way he was just dealing with everything, but he's running away and he ends up very early on. He goes into this house where this family is and, um, you start to realize that he is more than a kid. Um, but he ends up taking on a persona of a, a kid that was in this house. But, you know, it, just an example of the horrifying part is he, um, the moment he leaves the house, whoever is chasing him, it almost feels supernatural, you know. Whoever yes. is chasing him has entered the house and uh, kills everybody in it. We don't see that, but it kills everybody in it. And um, then we get this other, I would call a signature Dean Koontz move where. The family dog runs out and yeah. finds um, this kid, and he spends the rest of the book with this dog. And right. uh, Dean Koontz absolutely loves dogs, and <laughs> I, I love yeah. how he writes dogs, and um, sometimes you're in the dog's head. Um, I remember there was a book called uh, Dragon Tears by Dean Koontz, and okay. the dog plays a big role in that one. <laughs> and I just remember J.O. Sanders was the narrator. And I listened to this in audiobook, and his his dog voice, it was just, I can hear it in my head now. Good dog. Oh, good dog. Oh, he just so wanted funny. to be a good dog, you know. Yeah. And uh, just run around. That's so funny. Yeah. But I love that. I mean, you know, that that, that appears in Dean Koontz's fiction over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're a couple of dog people. So, um, yeah, we, we, we like a good dog. <laughs> we do. And I was thinking that, um, let me find it. Mm-hmm. At one point he says, 
about that dog. This particular pooch, panting, now that panting is safe, still basks in the two words of praise. He is a scamp, a rascally, fun-loving creature that lives by the simple rules of wild things. <laughs> and um, then, yeah. he, and so that's, you know, and he's right. That's how dog is, anybody who has dogs. But um, so here's another thing that this really, I think, is the essence of how he thinks about dogs and having just bought a puppy yesterday. I'm like, yes, this is exactly right. It says she is as enchanted as any dog could ever be, which is saying a lot considering that dogs are born to be enchanted every bit as much as they are born to enchant. (laughs) Love it. And I'm like Dean Koontz. I think, um, I feel that dogs were created to be our special companions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not knocking cats. They mm-hmm. have their own play. I like cats too, but dogs are just different. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. And, and the way he talks about dogs and I'm not going to be able to find a, a quote in here, but just the innocence and the purity and um, the, it's like a perfect companion, you know, and yes. what dogs show us, you know, and I know this from experience, right? What, what dogs show us about ourselves you know, what they need, what we give, what they give in return. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Dean Koontz talks about all of that stuff all the time. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Definitely. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, so you have this kid running away from something that seems supernatural. And um, now he's got this dog companion. So you've got these tracks rolling, you know, these two things going on at the same time. And on Mickey's side, if we return to her, what she's getting to do now, I mentioned uh, Leilani's parents, who are two pieces of work. (laughs) Oh, brother. Yeah, she has had a life. And really, um, as the book goes on, there's a lot of mystery that's going to be unveiled and a lot of evil that's going to be unveiled um, through... I guess I'm just going to say through Leilani's parents and mm-hmm. um, there, it becomes kind of a road show kind of a thing where everybody's <laughs> on the road. Everybody's going to end up in the same place. And um, yeah, I, I think that might be synopsis, but really this kid is, is running away from this supernatural thing. The evil people are running towards what uh, some of their beliefs and they're all going to end up in the same place in the in the big climactic scenes. Yeah, because Curtis has um, is it's interesting because he's on the run. Mm-hmm. He knows there's something terrible. Curtis is the chasing. kid, by the way. Yep. Curtis is the boy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Curtis Hammond, and he also knows though that he has a mission, and his mission is to try to save the world. Yeah. Awesome. So mission. we don't. <laughs> yeah, and we don't know what does this even mean. And he came. Uh, he was with his mother, but his mother's dead. So he's carrying on her work. And he's maybe, what, eight, nine, ten? Yeah. Not very old. Not very old. And so, right. And so he's always got this in mind while he's struggling to do things. And also, as he goes, it becomes very apparent he, he's not really from these parts because he, he doesn't understand sometimes how to talk to people in the right way. And he's talking kind of like Leilani in some ways, as if he's a little too old or disconnected. Yeah, it's interesting to compare these two. Because they're both around the same age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, 
Leilani's mission, because later we start to see in her head, is, of course, just to survive mm. and get away from her parents. She has a, a brother who died. Um, mm. And he's kind of the example of what she's trying to avoid because it, that wasn't great the yep. way that happened. Yep. <laughs> and it was de- definitely on the part of her stepfather. And then Mickey has not had any mission in life. We find out later she was, um, <sighs> she had hard things to put up with also. Yeah. Everybody's had very hard things to put up with. But the thing that's interesting is, so Curtis and Leilani just keep trying. Hmm. They keep shifting what they're doing. They keep going. They they are as optimistic as they can be under their circumstances about now this happened. Ooh, that's neat. You know, that will, so maybe this will work. And uh, Mickey has not been that way. Wow. Mickey has, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be remembering no, I'm, this I'm wrong. Just, I'm just marveling. What, what you're unveiling to me is really great. Yeah, she has been mm. um, drifting, essentially, mm. from thing to thing. And so her response to the bad things she ran into in her life were to just kind of withdraw mm. and try to not care and everything. And at the same time, she's paired up with her aunt Geneva, mm. who <laughs> who was shot in the brain at a in a store robbery and lived through it and everything, but her memory's kind of weird, <laughs> kind of wacky. Yep. She'll remember things that are books or movies as part of her own memory. Mm. And she's always applying them appropriately. But people <laughs> start to go, I think I saw a movie about that. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah. she's, she's the opposite of Mickey. She doesn't really have a goal, but she, like, I'm going to save these people. But when something comes along, she says, we have to help this person. Yeah. They were sent to us for a reason. We've got to do something. We can't just sit back. And she may not be any more, um, she may be as directionless in the sense of not knowing what to do, but she's the yin to Mickey's yang, so to speak. Um, So then you have, Mm -hmm. yeah, you have those people against these other people. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I feel like you've unveiled to me here is like this novel is about mission um, in a (laughs) way, right? I mean, the whole thing. And not only them, everybody you describe, but also the bad guys, right? The um, yes. Leilani's mom and uh, her dad. Her dad, his name is Preston Maddock, who is yeah. a utilitarian bioethicist. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, which is horrible. Um, but yeah, it, uh, so yeah, everybody's got these major missions and, and it, and as you're saying that, it just feels like, you know, every character in every novel seems to have a thing that they're doing, a thing that they're after. But this seems to be turned up a notch. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like the focus of it. It's it's like everybody is going after the thing, right. and they've all got their own thing. And and so in a way, it it becomes, are you after the right thing or not? Yes. You know? Um. Because. It- the bad people are after things that make them feel more important. And by the end, talk about turning it up a notch. I'm like, Oh my gosh, the mother is, I always thought she was creepy, but, and you know, a bad mother, but I never really realized how deep the evil truly ran. Can you imagine being on a road trip with them? Oh, and then the stepfather has a different goal based on the same, um, using the same people as the mother, essentially. Mm. But 
his is he's thought about his because he's studied and he's an intellectual, so to speak, and and he's just his articulation of evil hmm. is is gross. It's chilling. It's, yeah, um, it is hor- horrifying. Yeah, you know, people are just that's that's objects. a good word. Yeah, <laughs> they're objects to be used or discarded. And there are some people that just shouldn't be here, you know? Yeah. And and he thinks, well, I don't kill people who I think should be here. And to him, that's morality. Um, but the people that I think shouldn't be here ought to be killed, and I'm actually doing the world a favor by doing this, you know? Right. Because that's there's an, a minor character who's not, we no, don't see him much. He's a detective? Yeah. Yeah. He was a police detective. He was a policeman. And now he's a detective. Yeah, Noah. And he had a right. sister. Yeah, who was basically brain dead, kind of. Um, but she is mercy killed by someone. Yes. As well, she was living a terrible life, and I'm like, but she could have enjoyed ice cream. <laughs> I mean, yep. your your definition of what she can enjoy is incorrect. Yeah. So yeah, and then r- respect for life is um, also a major theme. Um, just just the whole thing, the right to life of everyone. Yeah, I would have said that's the main... Yeah, sure. I, and, and I guess yeah. you're right. Everybody has a mission, mm-hmm. and that is how everybody's moved around in the story. And it's interesting to look at how he does that for everyone. But, yeah, in terms of what he's trying to say, it is respect life. And in 2001... This book would have been much more, I don't know if it would have been controversial, but it was certainly hitting topics that were top of mind at the time. And it's funny how a lot of those things have kind of, they're still there, but they've kind of sunk down below the top level of consciousness. Yeah, right. Or am I, do you feel that way? No, or? I do feel that way. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, the world changed in 2001, right? Um, yeah. We've been kind of topsy-turvy since, you know, things keep occurring um, but, but yeah, but I, I agree with you that this would have been uh, a big statement. And, um, even as, in his authors afterward, he, he talked about bioethicism or bio, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not, a, not a biological ethicist, but a utilitarian biological ethicist, right. someone who thinks that some people are worth being part of humanity and other ones are not, you know, sort of like in in Iceland where they claim to have um, cured down syndrome. But what they're actually doing is aborting anybody that they detect with down syndrome, you know? So they're, they're basically saying these people don't have a right to live um, because they have down syndrome. Right. You know, and, and because they're useless to society. Right. Exactly. So it's a utilitarian thing. It's like, what use are you? If you're, if you'd, are determined not to have one, then uh, away you go. And I can't think of anything more horrifying than that. You know, who's, who's making yeah. those decisions? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone could decide tomorrow that I'm not ready to keep going. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You've made and too so, many mistakes, sir. It's time for you to go. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully <laughs> that, that's a few years in the future. Yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's horrible, you know, and, um, you know, these people have nothing to, uh, nothing to offer humanity in their opinion and therefore it's time to go. Yeah. Well, and another theme or I don't know if it's a theme, but mm-hmm. another 
strong uh, set of storytelling devices maybe is the topic of aliens. Mm. And um, I was really, I loved the way that Curtis, who, you know, clearly we're way past spoilers, everybody. Yes, but yeah, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Curtis, mm-hmm. by now he's out and out said, I'm an alien, Yeah, you know. Um, and, and, and I love the is, a gradual reveal of that too. I, I, yeah. I really liked how he handled that. It was just fun. Yeah. You know, he'd just say something now and then like, yeah, I had this mega brain download and <laughs> I learned a whole bunch of stuff in a very short amount of time. And it was like, well, how yeah. did that happen? You know, you just gradually understand. And Well, that yeah. and the, the one where they said, and you go, oh my gosh, everything in this story was there to be used. So when he's in the real Curtis Hammond's, bedroom at the beginning there's a band-aid with some blood on it Mm -hmm. so he's using the blood to enhance his human dna or yeah he used the blood to to make it hard for yeah he read the the dna and he was able to take the kid's persona right and um, so it's hard for the supernatural people to find him because he's he's kind of hiding his own whatever the markers are that they're following in that humanity and um so You've got only got these horrible supernatural whatever aliens following him, but also the FBI. The thing where they're in the ghost town and everything gets shot up, and I was like, "Are they working together?" I said I didn't remember the uh-huh. FBI being in there at all. I remember the other people, but I was like, "Why are they working together?" And then there's this huge shootout. And I'm like, "Oh no, they both want Curtis because <laughs> they want to. See, the FBI probably wants to study him, mm-hmm. but the other one just wants to kill him." Right. Because he's on a mission to save the world, and they don't want that to happen. And then um, also then as he's going along, he's in the desert in places where people will gather to look for extraterrestrials. <laughs> and they're having these meetings. And so he's like, no, no, here's something I can talk about. Mm-hmm. And so he'll confidently say something, and they'll turn around, and some woman's like, what are you talking about? Any superior intelligence would be vegetarian, and it would be like this and this yes. and this and this. Uh, and he's standing there, just like confused as can be, going, "I don't know what that has to do with being." Oh my gosh! And frankly, I was just cracking up. I was cracking was up too, but it's so, so true. It's so true. You know, um, uh, you watch a lot of. Um, you know, book reviews or you read book reviews. I, I've seen book books be criticized for things like that, you know, and you just, you just laugh out loud. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, clearly these aliens would not be eating meat, you know, and yeah, you're like, was, Oh, well, one of the things I say. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, Oh, oh okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I saw an author one time, you know, all these book reviews that are out there now, like Goodreads and, and YouTube and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They said, can you imagine spending two years to write a book and then you see on YouTube someone criticizing it for semicolons or something? Oh, yes. It's like, <laughs> it's like I do not like this book because I don't like semicolons, you know, and one star, you know, so it's just like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. But, but it's funny. It's just, you know, I feel like I've met those people, you know, some people like that. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, in the comedy, he's showing us ourselves, you know, and, uh, it's like, you know, again, what, how am I like that? You know, what am I yeah. like that with, you know, cause I'm sure I sure I, I'm sure that I am, I'm sure that I have assumptions about the world that uh, other people would find silly. 
probably, but mm. you know, we're Catholic. So yeah. Yes. Well, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way things are now. Yeah. So one of the things I want to look at at the, at the very beginning, just an example of what Dean Koontz does that really, I mean, this, this book just shines. There's just so many things, um, that make you stop and you think, yeah, you know, he's, he's got something there. So this is, um, Mickey has just met Leilani. Um, Leilani has gone home and Mickey is recalling something that her aunt Geneva said the previous evening Mm -hmm. and her aunt Geneva said, this is the woman that had been shot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, long ago. So she's fine. Quote unquote now. But anyway, she says, change isn't easy, Mickey. Changing the way you live means changing how you think. Changing how you think means changing what you believe about life. That's hard, sweetie. When we make our own misery, we sometimes cling to it even when we want so bad to change. Because the misery is something we know. The misery is comfortable. And you're just like, man, that Mm -hmm. is a truth, you know. Um, I look at that and I think about people converting to the church. um, Oh, yeah. And how... This means change, you know, and, and how in the process in the Catholic Church, it takes a minute to come in. They don't, you know, you don't show up at the door and get baptized. We take yeah. some time. We take the time. Right. right? And because um, change isn't easy, you know, changing the way you live means changing how you think. I love that. And changing how you think means changing what you believe about life and then acting on that, you know. But this is so profound because Mickey just came out of prison. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the reason she was in prison, <clears throat> she says, is not her fault. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time type of a thing. But, um, yeah, she's got to change now because it was her decisions that put her in that position in the first place. So yes. it's like, you know, hey, this change change isn't easy. And people need to hear that, you know, um, and how hard it is to change even to make minor changes like in my life. You know, I'm getting older and stuff. I need to be exercising more. I need to be looking to the future. My future self needs me to do some things. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's not easy. It's like, you just have these habits and everything. Um, but anyway, it was just profound. It spoke to me deeply. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. No, I also liked that quote. And um, because what you say, it's very true. And I like the thing you're saying about, you know, when you see the truth you have to decide, you know, to act on it. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, just very shortly after Geneva Aunt Geneva said more, but she said, it's also true that sometimes not often, but once in a great while, your life can change for the better in one moment of grace. Yes. Almost a sort of miracle. Something so powerful can happen. Someone so special come along, some precious understanding descend on you so unexpectedly that it just pivots you in a new direction, changes you forever. Mm-hmm. And then she practically prays, girl, I'd give anything I have if that could happen for you. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And Leilani is what does that for her. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Right. There it That's is. That's the answer to that prayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful because stuff. Because I, re- I remember toward the end, too, um, where they're in the maze in that awful house. Hmm. Oh boy! And it's on, or she and I can't remember if it's on fire yet, but Leilani is still in there trying. She is running away, 
and she hears Mickey behind her, I think, and she turns around and looks and seeing Mickey there and that it's a friend, somebody she she knows and likes and you realize loves. She said, Mickey was like, I'm glad all this stuff happened just so I could see that look on her face. Mm. Yeah. You know, and these mm. are terrible moments, but there's still moments that are deeper things that are within it. You know, yeah. that's yeah. that big moment that Aunt uh, Geneva is talking about. Right, right. And that's a Catholic thing, too. It's like um, this suffering we're, we're going through is showing us things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't be causing each other suffering. <laughs> but But at the same time, when we're going through suffering, there's something to be taken. And trying to help other people through their suffering. Yep. Yeah. You're not just really helping them. If, if indeed you can, sometimes all you can do is just be there with them, but you're also, it also has an effect on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's that community thing again, right? Right. Exactly. That we're always talking about. Yeah. Um, and this is a great novel about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about a lot of things, <laughs> but but it it ties right into you, what you're talking about this right to life thing and and this question that permeates the story, which is what is one door away from heaven? You know? Oh yes. It's just it comes up again and again, and you're like, what's one door away from heaven? And then you find out, you know. And that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. When um, this is um. They're all together, kind of in their little traveling caravan with the people and mm-hmm. the dogs, and they're out to everything, change the world for better. Everything has happened, and they they made it. Yeah. Yes, and now they're on their mission together. Right. They're going to help Curtis because he can't do it by himself. And so it says, um, Mickey poses the riddle she learned from Aunt Jen. What will you find behind the door that is one door away from heaven? Today, Curtis is the only one who has answered it correctly in the first try. And, of course, because he's an angel. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and this evening, the seven newcomers eventually puzzle their way close to the true response, but none earns a cigar. Leilani gives the answer according to Geneva, which everyone in the family can recite to the word. If your heart is closed, then you will find behind that door nothing to light your way. But if your heart is open, you will, you will find behind that door people who, like you, are searching. And you will find the right door together with them. None of us can ever save himself. We are the instruments of one another's salvation. Mm. And only by the hope we give to others do we lift ourselves out of the darkness and into the light. Yeah. And that's what the entire book does. And of course, many books that have, you know, kind of quests and teams coming together, people coming together have that same thing, but, you know, this book is specifically written, so we get that message. It's named after it. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, and I like the comparison with The Stand. You know, that's one of the things I love about The Stand, is mm-hmm. these people coming together and then making The Stand, right? right? Walking, you know, those four guys walking to Las Vegas. Oh, yes. You know? Um, with nothing but what they find. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, powerful, powerful stuff, and it's it's just so well done. Um, this is this is a great book. Yeah. yeah, because everybody that they encounter on their way to from when these people are all shown, and we enter into their stories hmm. and follow them to the end when we're watching 
everything come into place for the big ending, everybody's choosing for or against that idea. Yeah. You will or you won't help the other people. That's a great point. Yeah. Try to accomplish their goal. And because mostly I'm thinking, and I can't remember their names, those twin sisters. Mm. Pollux, Pollux and Castor is what they're named after. That's not going to their names. Polly and Cassie, I think, is just, right. What, yeah. Right. Yep. And they are, they, in other hands, they would seem like um, caricatures. Mm-hmm. But somehow he makes them so much fun. <laughs> I would love to meet them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's you great. You know, when they pull out mm-hmm. the guns and start shooting, you're just like, okay, it's the entire package right here. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. That's so good. So good. And I love even just the side characters that are just there for a minute, you know? Um, it just it just warms the heart when um, like when Curtis shows up. So he's he's running away. This is early in the book. He's running away and he's ridden in one of those semis that are carrying a bunch of cars. He's oh, right. just got in the car with the dog, and they're just sitting in there, just riding. No one knows they're there. And then they end up at a truck stop, <clears throat> and then Curtis um, yes. leaves the car, you know, with the dog, and it's just. It warms the heart where um, he's outside the place trying to get the dog to stay. He's explaining it to the dog. Hey, I need you to hang out here. I'm going to go get us some food. And um, this guy comes out. And, you know, just a random guy. Mm -hmm. And he's got the kid's welfare in mind. You know, he's like, are you you okay? Because at first, you know, you think, oh, the way he's talking, I'm just a little worried about him. But then he's just like, man, you just can't be hanging out here. Um, mm-hmm. This is a really dangerous area that you're in. Um, you know, just make sure that you're not here. You know, as long as your dad is somewhere, which is what the kid told him, then right. um, it's going to be fine. But he was worried. And then he goes into the store and into the cafe. And the woman that was at the cafe, I don't recall her name, but she was great. You know, I was just looking for her because he keeps talking about her. Yeah, and he again mentions her throughout again. the book. He's like, yeah, she's not like this woman, but she is good. You know what I mean? But it was just, again, it just warms the heart. You meet people like this that are these lights in the darkness, you know, and they're everywhere. And, and the thing is, sometimes we forget that. It's, it's just like, you know, you, you watch the news or whatever. Everything's bad. Everybody's bad. Everybody's an enemy or, you know, they're one or the other, you know, and, and you start to feel that way. But, um, yeah, I mean, that just feels real to me. I mean, that's that's what daily life is like. You know, we're meeting people all the time that are good folk. And uh, yeah, it just shines out that. of them. Yeah. And, in fact, he later says, meets Leilani and he says, you shine. Yes. That was a great scene when they first came together and he's just like staring at her. And mm-hmm. he and he's like like you said. I mean, he implies that he's an angel, um, and, you know, because because somebody said, "Are you kind of like an angel?" And he said, "Yeah, I can't remember what the what the." I think what it, it was, was they were. T- he was talking about <clears throat> the bad things that were trying to get him. Mm-hmm. He was saying, "There's I'm one of two kinds of shapeshifters, aliens in the galaxy or in the universe." Yeah. There's me and my kind. And then there's the other kind. And my kind is there to do good. And the other kind is there to destroy. And someone says, oh, sounds like demons and angels. He goes, not just sounds like. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. So here he is, an angel, and he sees this girl, and he just sees her light. You know, just like, man, you are shining. And uh, 
you know, of course that makes her uncomfortable. <laughs> she said something like, uh, that's no way to talk to a person about their sweat or whatever. Oh, she was, right. you know, she was just like, right. that's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I uh, found the bit with the waitress and I just like to read it because I loved this description so much. And he continually is referring to Donella. As Donella, her right. Everybody later, he starts to compare to her. Hmm. As this real, uh, really wonderful person. So it says, what can I do you for? Big guy, a counter waitress, inquires. She's a fantastically large person, nearly as round as she is tall. Bosoms the size of goose down pillows. Fine hulking shoulders. A neck made to burst restraining collars. And the proud chins of a fattened bull. Her uniform features short sleeves and her exposed arms are as big as those of a bodybuilder although without muscle definition, <laughs> immense, smooth, and pink, as if to provide the illusion of height and to balance her spherical body, she boasts a colossal mass of lustrous auburn hair twisted and braided and flared and folded into an amazing work of architecture high at the top of which is pinned a little yellow and white uniform cap that could be easily mistaken for a resting butterfly. The boy marvels, wondering at Wondering what being this woman would be like, whether she always feels as great and powerful as she looks, rhino powerful, or whether she sometimes feels as weak and frightened as any lesser person, surely not. She mm. is majestic. She is magnificent, beautiful. She can live by her own rules, do as she wishes, and the world will treat her with awe, with the respect that she deserves. So uh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, he sees that in her and the description is great. And then when you look back over it again, you go, oh, yeah, he's describing a fantastically tall but fat woman mm -hmm. who's, you know, good. Right. But mm -hmm. the way he sees her is um, he gives her the full credit for her potential, I think is, is maybe what it is. Yeah, well put. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And she was good to him, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just great. Love that. Love that all over. And then on the other side, <laughs> we've got some horrible people <clears throat> that are, that oh. are on the other side. Right. Um, I, I highlighted this paragraph that just made me laugh out loud. So this is, uh, probably I'm going to say about halfway through the book. So since Mia is, Leilani's mm. mom and Preston Maddock is her dad and they are in a motorhome headed to looking for this uh, UFO convention or whatever, this gathering, but they're, they, they want to go talk to this guy who was healed by a UFO. Um, but anyway, so they're all in a motorhome taking a very long road trip. So it, there's just this little line. It says in a motorhome, even in a large one, when a family lives on the road all year, an ine inevitable intimacy arises that would be stressful even if every member of the family were a saint. And the Maddox family currently fell three saints short of that ideal composition. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. Oh, it made me laugh out loud. Oh, that's um, so funny. Too good, too good. But, um, yeah, just um, what a tragic thing. I mean, it's just even tough to talk about is um, what Leilani's life situation is. Since mm -hmm. Amia is 
the most selfish person I can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. d- just uh, drugged up all the time, looking for pleasure. Um, does mean things to Leilani, her daughter. And the things that she says just make you cringe all the time. Um, but there was, uh, you know, j- just some stuff like, you know, she's she's pregnant at some point. And um, she tells, like, Leilani, yeah, I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm moving on from you. And I've got this other kid coming. And this other kid is going to be, it's going to, I'm going to, the drugs that I'm going to take while this kid is in me, I'm going to. I'm going to do the right thing. She said something about, I don't want to take synthetic drugs like I did with you. I want to take only natural things, only natural, (laughs) you know, and it's just so, it's just like, oh my gosh. Well, because that's when you realize that she, uh, Leilani's brother, who the stepfather took off and killed because he just enjoys killing things. But his excuse is that, of course, he's so crippled that he doesn't have a good life. Um, he was, the brother was more crippled than she was, than Leilani. And you realize toward the end when since Amelia is talking about this new baby and she says there'll be more than one through some way. Um, she's, she's basically, and, and Leilani, I guess had described this earlier, but she basically thought that she could make her children, was it telepathic? Yeah, she was looking for some kind powers. of magic powers, really. Yeah, yeah, and so she thought by taking all these drugs while she was pregnant, she would do that. Well, what she did is caused all their birth defects. Yeah. And then blames them for it because they weren't good enough to come out of it with the telepathic powers or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just deranged. It was deranged. That's what yeah. it is. And the further you go into it, the more deranged she becomes. And and by the end, that's when you realize, oh, the level, the degree that she'll go to on this stuff. Yeah. And um, the way that she is, despite these things, is admirable. I'm talking Leilani, about Leilani, mean, right? Yeah. The way that Leilani is as a character, it seems very believable. I mean, I've seen people go through really hard suffering, but still have this positivity about them, you know? And those are admirable people. And Leilani was like that. Yeah, I think that's a grace. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, when you're a kid and this is the environment you've been in, how do you even know this stuff? Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, how how simple is it to just not get out of bed anymore? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I say simple. I, I know things are hard for people. I, I don't want to put that in a negative light at all. But our reactions to things are often the most damaging part of whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. The way we retreat or try to comfort ourselves or ignore things. Right. It's like retreat or move forward, retreat Mm -hmm. or battle, you know? Right. And when you look at the number of damaged people, and I'm talking about, you know, down syndrome person, the brain dead sister that we were talking about of the detective Noah, mm-hmm. um, the, the various degrees. And then Mickey has done some reading and found other um, sorts of people that the stepfather supposedly has helped and, um, and his theories of, you know, utilitarianism in terms of people's lives, you realize Dean Koontz is showing you all these different degrees of 
people being judged worthy or not worthy based on what good they are to anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why Leilani is important because she's, would you say she's the most perfect or most perfected of those sorts of people? She's had all these defects. She actually has some degree of agency. Yeah. However small, because she's a child, she wasn't able to help her brother, but she's fully aware of what's going on and she's very intelligent and she's continually working to try and get out of it. Yeah, yeah. So... No, um, I mean, she's like, she's a prime example of why the philosophy of this utilitarian thing is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got incredible worth and these poor excuses for people can't see it, you know, or choose not to see it, you know, cause her, her stepdad or Preston is his, his purpose of at the end of this road trip in his head is, yeah, I mean, I killed her brother. Now I'm going to kill her. And mm-hmm. the reason I'm going to do it is cause you know, she doesn't belong in this world. You know, right. um, she's just, you know, she's someone that shouldn't be here and he's disgusted by her. And therefore, uh, she needs to go. And, um, you know, she's well aware of that. <laughs> and, you know, she, she's thinking the whole time, you know, that, oh, you know, what's going to happen at the end of this trip is not going to be good for me. Um, how do I not end up like my brother? Right. Um, well, and what I liked is um, we're shown through Mickey and Aunt Jen a normal person's reaction to all this. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't been aware of it, and of course... These days, 20-something years later, we're all kind of aware of this way of thinking because it's permeated our society. Yeah. But Mickey and Aunt Jen are just horrified by the concept altogether. And they couldn't uh, and, They couldn't do nothing. They couldn't. Right. They had to do something. Yeah. Right. They, they could help this one person. Yeah. And which is the theory they wind up at the end is the way, and that's what Curtis says, the way you help a person, the way you save the world is one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You help one person, they help you, or, or you then each go on to save somebody. And, um, but it's the whole thing I was just thinking about, you know, look how many states since 2000 have approved of euthanasia mm. or how many countries. Yeah. It used to be abortion or birth defects or, you know, the brain thing was the most. But now they've added all these other things. We just don't think you have a good quality of life. Yeah. And not only that, but I feel they talk people into those things, you know. Like, I myself am not worth being here anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, man. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And, of course, you know, Catholics don't go for that. That's right. Yeah. So here um, is Curtis saying, um, so he's, I don't know, this is midway. uh, We are given this life so that we might earn the next. The gift is a chance to grow in spirit and knowledge is one of the many nutrients that facilitate our growth. And then he just says, mom's wisdom. (laughs) You know what I mean? So this is just to himself. It's not like in quotes or anything. So um, yeah. It's like Curtis knows more than movies. He knows local botany as well as local animal biology. You know, this is all revealing who he is. And um, yeah, yeah, sitting with his back against the trunk of a tree, he tears the beef jerky into pieces and feeds it to the dog, morsel by morsel. The thought of an angel doing that just makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. All is right with the world if angels are feeding the pooches. Right. Well, 
he enjoys life on this earth. He, he enjoys does, yeah. The beauty he comes across, the personalities yeah. of some of the people anyway. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just he um, he's meant to be here. This world is his mission. Mm-hmm. And um, so are we. We were put here in this time, in this place, as the people we are for our mission, which is living our lives to the very best we can. Yeah. And the ripples it. we cause, hopefully, mm. will help change things one person at a time. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So here, uh, shortly after that, again, we're still with Curtis. The boy is left with a memory of transcendence, but not with the feeling of it, which is the core of the experience, yet he doesn't mourn the loss. Indeed, life would be unlivable if at every moment he felt the full intimacy of his spiritual bond with his maker. The dog was born in that state of grace. She is accustomed to it, and she is comfortable with her awareness because her innocence leaves her unfettered by self-consciousness. For Curtis, as for humankind, such spiritual intensity must be reserved for a life beyond this one, or for many lives beyond, when deep peace has been earned, when innocence has been recaptured. Love it. Did we mention he likes dogs a lot? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And then yep, that, uh, yeah, I, I liked that he called her Sister Become, right? Sister Becoming. And then yes. He, yeah. Because they had yeah. linked in a certain way. Right. Yeah. Which he could do as aliens. Um, yeah. And there was something else that he was pointing out, Dean Koontz, uh, chapter 50, it says. Mm-hmm. where um, Mickey has been looking at, um, let's see, someone's computer, oh. Feral. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, all his notes and everything, and seeing kind of how deep it all goes. Mickey has been at the detective's apartment and she's been reading his notes and looking at what he was looking at online and all this kind of stuff and um seeing how deep it goes all the connections that she hadn't been aware of and it says a shudder less fear than wonder traced the architecture of mickey's spine as she sensed a strange synchronicity linking her life to feral's Jen often said that what we perceive to be coincidences are in fact carefully placed tiles in a mosaic pattern, the rest of which we can't apprehend. Now Mickey sensed that intricate mosaic, vast and panoramic and mysterious. Mm. Yeah, and that's, you know, and we've talked about that before in our own lives, how we've seen it. But it's kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the stand or, you know, just bringing all these people together, even though they're from all these different points of view or points of entry, I guess I should say, into the story and different motivations. But they all wind up at the same place with the same basic goal. And it's that the coincidences are actually just kind of like, I don't know, Scrabble tiles being moved around. Yeah, right. And it's beautiful when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When you're allowed to see it. When you're allowed to see it, yeah. And usually, often you see it when you look back. It's like you don't see yes. it. You know, that's part of the examine, the idea of the examine. It's like, mm-hmm. just take a minute and consider the day. And, well, that was odd. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's a good thing to be doing. 
I need I to do. I need to do that more. Yeah. 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 Well, because the other thing that goes along with the evil side of this and the way of looking at people is pointed out at one point where Mickey's watching TV and she says she's been watching late night talk show and the hosts were funny, but the cynicism that informed every joke soon depressed her. Mm -hmm. And under all the yucks, she perceived an unacknowledged despair. Wow. And it said increasingly since the 1960s, being hip in America had meant being nihilistic. Oh my gosh. How strange yep. this would seem to the jazz musicians of the 1920s and 30s who invented hip. Back then, hipness had been a celebration of individual freedom. Now it required surrendering to groupthink and a belief in the meaninglessness of life. <laughs> that and is, this is just social what you media before social media, pretty well, much. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, it's what you complain about with modern science fiction. Yes. Yep. I mean, it just pervades our society we've got this nihilist depression underneath everything this cynicism yeah, yeah everything's so a post-apocalyptic novel about yeah. how depressing everything is yeah yeah and and this this novel is an antidote to that it's the opposite you know there's there's all this stuff that we're talking about that's difficult that occurs but everybody is coming together to overcome you know with god's help god has mentioned several times um, right, and his books tend to be that way. They they tend to include really gross stuff, like that guy's house at the end, the one that had the newspapers and stuff. When she was looking in the cans, I was like, I can't even read this. This is so disgusting. Mm -hmm. um, but um, and that shows a different kind of person who's who's lost and right. searching for something it's so far that he can't even find his way to anything. But um, I was reading it just kind of thinking about um, this is that meaninglessness, the nihilism, the, but these people, but his books always have, so they always have the gross stuff like that. And it's always about usually a topic of some sort. Yeah. Like yeah. the, you know, every person is worth something, but they always have optimism and they always end in optimism. And I know that he had an alcoholic father who was very hard mm. on him. Mm. And had a really hard life. And he said that Catholicism was one of the true beautiful things he found. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And he always was able to maintain being optimistic because of things like nature and the church and that kind of thing. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. So that comes through in his books. Yeah. Well, terrific. I really enjoyed this book, you know, and, and the big ending... Um, oh, yeah. It worked so well. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really great. It was almost like a, you know, you have this guy collecting the materials of the world and creating a maze out of it. You know, it, it's almost metaphorical where it's, mm, you know, mm -hmm. tr trying to get all through this to the light. You know, and and then they light right. it on fire. You know, which is yeah. what it's it's worth. You know, just light that stuff on fire. Um, but yeah, trying to get through that while. Preston's in there, and the the detective shows up. I mean, it was, it was just really well done. Um, I really I enjoyed it. Preston's in there, and he meets Curtis as an angel. Yes, yes. He says, you know, a lot of that stuff you thought about aliens was really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, man. What? Yeah. That can't be right. No, I don't, I don't accept it. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
It was, that was a sweet moment. It was a great moment. I loved it. But yeah, not sweet in terms of, oh, nice. Yeah. Just like, yes. Finally, you awful person. Yeah. And then that final chapter was just what we needed, I felt. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. This is going to continue. They're going to go on and they're going to do the mission. Because exactly. this is not the only mission he had, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The better you know others, the better you'll know yourself. And that in the fullest sharing of experience, we learn the wisdom of the world. Yeah, and then it says, more important still, from the sharing of experience, we learn that every life is unique and precious, that no one is expendable. And with this discovery, we acquire the humility that we must have to live lives well, with grace, and with gratitude for the gift of breath. Yes. Bravo. Well said. Yeah. Well said, Mr. Kuntz. Thank you for this book. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear it, but, you know, thank you. We love you. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Good choice. Well, thank good you. Good choice. Yeah, it's Halloween-y with uh, optimism, yeah. you know? Yeah. Unlike, you know, like Edgar Allan Poe, you just go away with that feeling. <laughs> yes, the fall of the House of Usher does not have any optimism in it. That's for sure. No optimism. Devoid. The Mask of the Red Death. You oh bet. My gosh. You bet. Yeah. He was writing full-on horror. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, next for us is going to be well into November. And is it, it is okay. Grand Torino. Oh. Yeah. This is halfway through November. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that movie. It's I like Clint Eastwood. I yeah, and yeah. that's a one of his best movies. I, I think. think so I really too. Like it. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. He's well on his it. way to a hundred years old. I think. Really? So, yeah, isn't he really close? I maybe I. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to type this yeah. in here because I just need to okay. know, and I know our listeners are like, <laughs> "Is he really? He's ninety-three. He's ninety-three. Okay, he's not." So he's got to wait. I mean, I'm sorry. He's close. But (laughs) when you say well on his way, I'm 98 or 99. Yeah, right. I know too many old people. Sorry. (laughs) It's like, it's going to get closer than that, baby. Oh, man. (laughs) All of them have value, but they're not making 100 yet. Yeah, right. Anyway. Right, right, right. (laughs) All right. Well, this is good. I'm going to go pet all my dogs now. Excellent. Just and thank make, them for put them in a big pile and joy. just rub them like crazy. That's it. All it's right. going to be great fun. Excellent. Yes. All right. Okay. Say hi to everybody. And I will. Thank you for listening all. Yes. Thank you. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Hey, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.